Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. What do you say after that? <laughs> Other than praise God, praise God. That we shall see Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 6. I'll also reference a passage out of James chapter 1. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and we are looking at the model prayer, the disciples' prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but really and truly, the Lord's Prayer is in John, where he's praying for you and me. Um, th- this is a model. This isn't something you just recite, and it automatically brings blessing to your life. It, Jesus said, here's a model. Include this when you pray. Verse 9 says, in this manner, therefore, pray. In this manner, he said. Our Father in heaven speaks of our relationship with God who rules the universe. Hallowed be your name. May your name be glorified on all the earth. Your kingdom come. We're wanting God's kingdom to expand. And every time somebody gives their life to Christ, his kingdom is continuing to come. And we want it to come in our own life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's will to be done on this earth. And in our own lives, all three of those petitions speak about God. And then the next three about man. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread meaning the the very necessities of life, what we need to live. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We talk about God's forgiveness that removes sin once and for all. And then that forgiveness that restores fellowship with him on a daily basis as we forgive those who've sinned against us, who've made mistakes, who've fallen. And then today, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, help us to understand what this spiritual protection involves because each of us need it. We cannot function on our own. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your sustaining power to give us victory in our life. So we ask you to speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was a little boy who really did want a new skateboard. But his parents, trying to teach him responsibility, teaching him the value of earning things, said, you can buy the skateboard, but you've got to save your allowance. You've got to earn the money yourself. One afternoon, his mom overheard him in his room shaking his bank and counting his money. And at the same time, in the distance, she heard the music from the ice cream truck. She thought, well, this is going to be interesting. So she stayed and watched for a moment. And as the truck came down the street and the, 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 the music got louder, she didn't hear anything happening in the, in the room. 
And then when the, the vehicle passed and was on out of earshot, the, she heard the little boy praying, Dear Jesus, please don't let the ice cream wagon come down my street anymore. <laughs> he understood what temptation was. And today we're going to talk about temptation and testings and trials. And when we come to the sixth petition, it's really in two parts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, next week we'll look at deliver us from the evil one. But today I want us to talk about lead us not into temptation. It's a difficult phrase if you think about it. You may never have even really thought about what you're asking. Lead us not into temptation. Now, folks, if you think about it, it's a difficult phrase. Why? First of all, it seems to be a paradox in this prayer. Does God lead his children into temptation? So why are we asking God to do, not to do something that he's not going to do anyway? You see, lead us not into temptation. Does that mean God might, might lead us into temptation under certain circumstances? If so, what kind of temptation? And why would God deliberately lead his children into something that he warns them to stay away from? And are we asking God to do something that he cannot do? Well, what if it means trials or testing? And we say, God, don't lead me in any trials. And yet God also says, you know what? Trials and testing is what helps you grow. So what in the world does this mean? Does God lead his children into temptation? And because the early Christians held this in such high esteem, they debated the meaning of this part of the prayer over and over. And you open up commentaries, you're going to see a lot of different interpretations about this. But it still doesn't answer the central question, does God lead his children into temptation? And if he doesn't, then why did Jesus ask us to pray and lead us not into temptation? So... It all depends on how you interpret the word temptation. With that in mind, let's talk about the perception of pyrasmus. Now, I put that in there for a reason. I, that's the Greek word. The Greek word, that's the same word for trials. It's the same word for tempting or temptation. And it all depends on how you interpret this word right here in Matthew. It's a neutral word. It can be positive. It can be negative. In the positive sense, when God puts us through trials and testings and our faith is grown, it's a positive word. In the negative sense, temptation in the sense that we think about it, being lured away or seduced to not do what God intends for us to do, it's a negative word. And to make matters more complicated, sometimes this word is used in the same passage to mean two different things. I'm going to read out of James chapter 1. Verse 2, my brethren, and by the way, James is the half-brother of Jesus. They have the same mother, not the same dad. Obviously, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But James had an earthly father, probably could have been Joseph, probably was. But can you imagine being the half-brother of Jesus, the younger half-brother? I just wonder how many times Mary said, why can't you be like Jesus? <laughs> Can you imagine having a perfect older brother? Oh, well, I digress. Let me move on. Listen to what he said. Listen, this is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various pyrasmus, trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, if you go down to verse 12, blessed is, happy is the man who endures pyrasmus, temptation. For when he is approved, has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is pyrasmus, tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Every time you see the word temptation and tempted in that passage, it's this word, pyrasmus, if I'm saying it correctly. It doesn't matter if I'm not, but you see the word. So how do you know what's being said here? Same thing in Matthew 6, verse 13, and lead us not into pyrasmus. Well, we've got one Greek word with two different Meanings and they do not contradict one another in that passage in James. But let me illustrate it another way. It's all by the context. Let me use the word bag, B-A-G, hypothetically. Made, made it up. A hunter might say, I bagged a squirrel that was up in the tree. He fell to the ground and I put him in a bag. I sure hope my wife Gertrude isn't upset with me, the old bag. Why, I can see the puffy red bags under her eyes already. Uh-oh, here she comes. I suppose it's too late to hide the squirrel because the cat's already out of the bag. Now, I use the word bag five times, five different meanings. Some of them would have gotten you into trouble. But what I want you to see is that the context makes it so important because God does not solicit in any way, even indirectly, his children to do evil. God will not lure you into evil. He will not seduce you into evil. In that sense, God will never tempt you to do what is wrong. God will never set you up to fail. To do that would contradict both his holiness and his love. God will never lead you to disobey him. So let's put it this way, and you might want to write this down. We are tested by God. We are tempted by Satan. And there's a big difference here to be tested by God and to be tempted by Satan. When God gives to us a trial or a test, it's almost always an opportunity for Satan to tempt us. Did you hear that? When we go through a test or a trial, Satan is usually there with a temptation. Now, we have separated these words in our English language, temptation and testing or trial, to be so different, but yet they're so close together because God will test us, Satan will tempt us. It's the same word. Let me, let me illustrate it. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. We're told in Matthew 4, 1, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, who led Jesus into the desert? Holy Spirit. Who did the tempting? Satan did. Is there a contradiction here? 
No. Did God know what was going to happen when he sent Jesus into the desert? Yeah. But he sent him there with the intention of demonstrating that his own son would not yield to Satan's temptation. Was God tempting Jesus? No. Satan was tempting. God allowed it. God knew it. You see how close together they are? And these two translations, trials and temptations, are so closely related because when you face a trial or an ordeal, you are almost always tempted at the same time to do the wrong thing. God sends a trial. Satan turns it into a temptation. And from time to time, God allows his children to go to a place they will face severe temptation. But if you're not ever tested or tried, you're never going to grow in the Lord. But along with that test comes an opportunity to do wrong. So let's try to clarify it. Let me mention the difference. From God's point of view, it's a test. From Satan's point of view, it's, it's temptation. Let's mention the differences. First of all, a test will, excuse me, a trial will test your faith. A temptation will test your obedience. God will not lead you to do wrong Listen to me. I hope people that are watching on television, I hope people that are watching online will understand this because I've had people tell me, God led me to do this, and then they've told me exactly something that was opposite of Scripture. God will never lead you to violate his word. I've had people say, well, God just wants me to be happy. Where did you get that? I know Jesus came to give us an abundant life, but God's more concerned with you being holy than he is being happy. And sometimes when you're going through a trial or a test, you're not very happy. But I don't, don't come and say, well, you know what? God, God told me to, and then they mention some sin that they've committed that they say, well, God led me to do that. No, God did not lead you to do that. Your, your faith... Your trials will test your faith. It will help you become more dependent upon him. But the temptation is when the obedience is tested. I'm going to either follow what God says to do or I'm not. Another way to put it, a trial is difficult to do. A temptation is easy to do. Folks, if temptation wasn't easy to do, it wouldn't be a temptation. You cannot tempt me to eat liver. Don't like it. You're not supposed to eat it, in my opinion. And I don't care how you fix it. Don't come up to me after church and say, well, you hadn't had some of mine. I ain't going to have it. Just not. You're not ever going to tempt me to eat it either. I'd rather starve to death. <laughs> Somebody else doesn't like it either over here, too. <laughs> I laugh, I laugh what Kathy, Sellers, Kathy Zellers of Muncie, Indiana said, after my husband asked me to help him shed some unwanted pounds, I stopped serving fattening TV snacks and substituted celery. And while he was unenthusiastically munching on a stalk one night, a commercial caught his attention. As he watched longingly, a woman spread gooey chocolate frosting over a freshly baked cake. And when it was over, my husband turned to me and said, did you ever notice they never advertise celery on television? <laughs> a trial 
James says sometimes you fall into that trial. It's unexpected. It's, it's difficult. They never feel good. It's never easy. A test is never easy. But temptation, it's easy. It's the easiest thing to do because you'll naturally want to do it. Another way to put it, trial brings dependence upon God. Temptation focuses on self without reference to God. You see, we face our situation with God. We grow in our dependence upon him. Sometimes the Lord puts us through tests that causes us to come to him and say, Lord, I'm completely dependent upon you. A temptation, though, says, you know what? I don't need God. I don't care what God has to say. It's all about me and myself and I and my pride. I really don't care what God has to say. Temptation focuses on yourself with no reference to God. Another way, trial exposes a weakness. Temptation exploits a weakness. Whether you like it or not, you and I have a certain bent towards sin. There are some sins that you could not tempt me with, but it would be a temptation for you. There are some sins that... You couldn't, I couldn't tempt you with, but would be a temptation for me. We all have a natural fallen, we, we're all born with a fallen nature, and we have a bent towards sin. So people basically say, well, you know, I was born this way. I can't help it. Yeah, the Holy Spirit changes everything, whether it's temper or greed or whatever it is. You, we're all born this way. But that doesn't mean we have to follow through. It exposes a weakness. Trials, the Lord knows where we're the weakest, and so sometimes he allows testing to go to make us stronger in that area. Temptation, though, is going to exploit our weakness. It's going to make us want to do it. The Continental Cablevision Company of Madison Heights, Michigan, years ago had a little trouble with some of their electronic switching equipment and resulted in X-rated programming being sent into the homes of people who had not subscribed to it. And the alarm was sounded by a shocked customer who called a local radio station, and this is what they said. It was really awful. We saw it for four hours. <laughs> They had a bent toward that. <laughs> Another way to put it, trials lead to maturity and fellowship. Temptation leads to guilt and broken fellowship. Suppose you lose your job. Could that be from God? Could be. I didn't say it was, but it could be. Because if you, if you lose your job, it could be that God's got a better plan for you. Maybe you have fallen in love with the things of that job to the point where they, they have become an idol to you. And in that case, it's good for you to lose your job. And during that trial of, from God, Satan will tempt you to be angry and despairing and discouraged. I mean, he'll tempt you to do the wrong thing. I don't know why you lost your job, okay? I'm just using this as a hypothetical situation. It could work the other way. Suppose you get a promotion in your job, and now you are getting a nice raise in salary. You're better off financially than you ever have been. Could that be a trial? 
Absolutely, because prosperity is often a trial or a test from God to see how you handle his blessings because prosperity ought to make us more generous, but a lot of times it makes us more greedy and selfish and blind, doesn't it? How about the case of a businessman on, this, on a week-long business trip? And the last night, he's been gone a week. He checks into his motel room, and on top of the television is one of those boxes where they bring in those X-rated movies. And the man knows that he has no business pushing that button. But now he's alone. He's spiritually tired or disoriented, and he feels a strong urge to watch one of those movies. Does God know that box is in there? Yeah. Did God allow that man to go in that room? Yeah. But is God tempting him? No. Satan's there. So the man can either pass the test and he'll be stronger spiritually because he said no. If he doesn't pass the test, he fails. Now he's got the guilt and so forth. Testing brings you closer to God. Temptation takes you away. Now, I hate to tell you this, but testing and trials, they're a normal part of the Christian walk. You're going to have them. They're part of God's curriculum. Can you imagine going to a university and say, I want to get a degree from this university, but, but I don't want any tests? They're going to say, sorry. It's part of the curriculum. <laughs> Did you know that in the School of Grace, God does not offer a no-testing degree program or a no-trial degree program? He just doesn't offer that. You cannot escape the trials and testings. Because God wants to conform you to the image of his son, he's going to make you stronger. During the, 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 time, the times that will make you stronger are the difficult times in life. They, they're the ones that helped you learn that God is faithful. They helped you learn to depend on him. Along with that, there have been some tests that we failed. But sometimes you can't help the test. Reminds me of a man who boarded the all-night train from Chicago to Philadelphia. And when he got on the train, he told the conductor, he said, look, when this train stops in Pittsburgh in the middle of the night, I need to get off the train. The conductor said, no problem. He said, well, you don't understand. I need you to wake me up. The conductor said, no problem. He said, listen, I really am a sound sleeper, and I fuss a little bit when you wake me up. You make sure I get off that train in Pittsburgh. Sir, I will get you off the train in Pittsburgh. Man went to sleep. When he woke up, the train was in Philadelphia, and he was mad. He came up to the conductor, began to cuss him out. He said, I'm going to sue you. You've cost me millions of dollars. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue this train. And as he walked away, he was still talking loudly. And somebody walked up to the conductor and said, have you ever seen somebody so mad? And the conductor said, yeah, the guy I put off in Pittsburgh was pretty mad. <laughs> well, sometimes you fall into those tests and those trials. And you don't like it. I don't like this. 
Not liking it, it's not part of the failure. Doing the wrong thing and the temptation is. So what happens when you fail the test? Well, you remember last week when we talked about forgive us our debts? And I said there's two kinds of forgiveness. There's the forgiveness that removes our sin. Once and for all, when you repent of your sin and you ask God to forgive you and you place your faith and trust in Jesus, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. They're removed. They're wiped clean. But then, and I use the analogy of marriage. You know, when you marry, you, know, you, you, you commit your life to someone and then if there's a disagreement and you make up, you don't have to go get married again. Well, you don't have to be saved over and over and over. Jesus saves you to the uttermost. Your sins are covered for eternity. But that daily walk with God, there's a fellowship factor there and we still sin and we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and he is faithful. He's continuously faithful to forgive us and to stay in fellowship with him. So when you fail a test, you come asking God to help you and to forgive you. And you seek his forgiveness. So we come back now, full circle, to and lead us not into temptation. So what does this mean? I want you to see the plea or the request in this petition. Here is a frank admission. I am a sinner with the inclination to continue to sin. I know my weaknesses. I know my tendencies. And I know that I need the Lord to help me. Lord, I know that in a trial, in a test, that I could be led to go wrong. I could be led in temptation here. And I'm asking you to not allow that to happen. Help me today, Lord, as I go through the trials and tests of life, not to fall into or not to submit to or succumb to temptation. Help me to pass the test. That's the plea here. That's what it means. Tony Evans in a a magazine called Preaching Today tells a story about a forester named Sam. Old Sam would be out chopping down the tree and you could hear him say one phrase after another, oh, Adam, oh, Adam. Every time he hit the tree, oh, Adam. One day the foreman said, Sam, why do you keep saying that? He said, because Adam, our forefather, sinned against God. God cursed him and said, we have to work from that time on. So every time I hit this ax against the tree, it reminds me that if Adam hadn't sinned, I wouldn't have to work. (laughs) One day, a supervisor came to him and said, come on, Sam, with me. And he took Sam up to this big, plush, extravagant, 10,000-square-foot mansion. He said, Sam, it's all yours. You can live in it. You can do whatever you want. you got a swimming pool, tennis court, servants, everything. Everything in this house is yours. I'm giving it to you because I don't want you to struggle with that Adam mentality anymore. I ask only one thing. Don't lift up the box on the dining room table. He said, that's not a problem. So enjoying everything in the house, he had it all. I mean, he played tennis every day. He went swimming, ate three meals a day. About five months into it, he saw the box. 
That bothered him. He wanted to know why he could have everything in this house, but that box was so important. He said, well, I'm not going to jeopardize this, so he didn't do anything. About a year had gone by, and he'd, he'd grown accustomed to everything in the house, but now that box began to bother him. And so when no one else was looking one day, he lifted up the box, and just as he did, a little mouse jumped out of it and ran off and hid, and he couldn't find the mouse to get it back in the box. Well, the supervisor came and noted that the box had been tampered with. And he said, Sam, I told you, I warned you about this. So you have to leave the house. And he went back out into the forest, picked up his axe, and began to chop down trees. The next time the supervisor came by, he heard Sam saying, oh, Sam, oh, Sam. When we pray and lead us not into temptation, we recognize both the strength of the temptation and the weakness of our flesh. We understand it a little bit better when you read in Matthew 26, 41, where Jesus and his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus was arrested, right before he was taken to the cross to die for our sin. And he asked the disciples, he told them, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into pyrasmus, Temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Same word used that you not enter into temptation. Same word that he used right here in Matthew in the model prayer. And Jesus and the disciples were in the garden of Gethsemane where he was praying. And, he, and his disciples were about to be tested. Now, he already knew that they were going to run away and that Peter would deny him three times. But, but before any of this happened, Jesus kept saying, keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. But they didn't do that. Every time Jesus came back, they were sleeping, weren't they? They weren't praying. And sure enough, all of them failed. So the problem was that they weren't praying and asking for help. This plea, lead us not into temptation, expresses our dependence on God and on the Lord for victory. Paul taught us in Ephesians 6 that we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And when we don't pray and ask God to help us, can you expect to pass the test that come by every day in the week? No. You see, when you get up and don't ask the Lord for help, basically you're saying, I got this, God. Got this. I can handle anything that comes my way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can't. You can't handle it all. And so we ought to be praying, Lord, just this day, when it comes, help me pass the test. We're pretty good at saying, I feel your pain, aren't we? That's a cliche that we use when we say, well, I'm going, you're going through something that I can relate to. I feel your pain. Well, did you know Jesus can feel our pain? Because Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without Sin. The King James says he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus is touched by the weakness of our feeble flesh. He knows how we feel. He can help us through it. He knows what we're facing. But we have to call on him. That's why he said, ask God for help. 
when the temptations and the tests come, the temptation, when the tests and trials come, the temptations are going to be there. You're going to need my help, he said. Write down these scripture references. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn for you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He didn't say if you're going to walk through it. He said when you walk through it. You know, it'd be nice if the Lord just kept us from testing. But he didn't say we're going to walk around it or I'm going to keep you from it. He said when you go through it, I'm going to be with you. Now, one more verse, two more verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, listen to how many times Pyrasmus is here. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I've had people tell me, well, I know God will not put on me more than I can bear. Where did you get that? That's not true. Have y'all ever, y'all ever said that? You ever had anybody say, well, I, I, I can't figure out what God's doing. He does say he won't put on me more than I can bear. That's baloney. He will put on you more than you can bear so that you'll depend on him. But he says, every time that you're going through a trial and a test and there's a temptation there, he says, I have the power to keep you from succumbing to the temptation there. There's always a way out by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it. The devil can't make you do it. One other verse, 2 Peter 2, 9 says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial. I wish it would be nice if we just say, God, can we just skip the tests? Can we just skip the tests? But he's going to say, it won't, your faith will be weak. You'll have flabby faith if you don't ever have any tests in your life. A lot of people got flabby faith, don't they? That's a mind picture for you, isn't it? <laughs> the way you, the resistance, the, the testing makes it stronger. To come to Christ, you have to repent of your sin, change your mind about it, and you ask God to forgive you. And then you realize that Jesus has died for your sin. He rose again, defeating death, paying the price. You place your faith and trust in Jesus, and you will be saved. Your sins are forgiven. But, folks, it's still a day-to-day -day walk with the Lord. It's a day-to-day -day saying, Lord, just today, just today, give me what I need to pass the test. Give me what I need to walk through the trial and not succumb 
to temptation. When the going gets hard, Lord, don't let me take the easy path off of it. So if you don't know Christ, I've got good news for you. God will forgive you, will save you, will wipe it clean. And you know what? So when you fail, you know, when you fail, what do you do? You come back to the Lord, and guess what he does? He wipes you clean. I forgive you. Lord, I, I really did blow it here. I just messed up. The Lord said, I'll forgive you. Isn't that great? I'll forgive you. But you've got to turn from it and come to him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. I pray that you would show them the forgiveness that removes their sin as far as the east is from the west. And I pray for those today, Lord, all of us, we haven't done too good on some of the tests. <laughs> we have taken the easy path. We have succumbed to temptation. And so right now we repent of that and turn from it. And in brokenness, and we come asking you to forgive us. Help us to be stronger, Lord. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to be people that will show the victory that can only come through Jesus. And I look around and I see people whose faith has grown. Some have been through some difficult tests and trials. And now they're stronger as a result. I pray that you will make them better, not bitter. Don't let them get bitter. I pray for those that need Jesus that they come. I, I pray for those that need a church home. If this is the place you want them, I pray you bring them. I pray for those who need to be baptized, for those who need to be obedient. And Lord, for those who are just right now in defiance of you, would you convict them of their sin, show them how much you love them, and may they claim 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that people will walk out in victory. We admit that we need you. We are helpless without you. And we're going to fail if you don't come through. I pray that people would respond to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.